The following podcast may contain adult language and conversations revolving around situations not suitable for immature audiences. Spoilers and general political incorrectness can often be expected, so listener discretion is advised. They must be destroyed on sight! Welcome, we're back, finally, uh, after a little bit of a hiatus there. They Must Be Destroyed on Sight, episode 80. I'm your host, Lee Russell, joined by my co-host, Daniel Harper. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. I'm listening to oldies and shaking the booty. All right. <laughs> and we have a special guest this time out. Uh, we have Mr. Gary Hill from Cinema Beef and from the uh, Legion Podcast uh, Network. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. Just glad to be here, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think you and uh, your uh, sort of stable mate over there at Legion Podcast sort of have the distinction of trying to uh, jump into everybody's podcast. Well, it's, it's a lot more fun to guess, and you don't have to edit the show. So yeah, it's just a lot less stress that way. Yeah, but but I mean, you and Duncan are pretty much everywhere. I, I think I've heard you guys on like eight thousand different podcasts that I listen oh, to. So Duncan is a much bigger whore than I am, and he. Uh... He can bake like a like a fucking madman, so <laughs> don't let those tattoos and piercings fool you. He, he can make some cupcakes like nobody's business. <laughs> I believe it. We're going to be uh, doing another little uh, franchise uh, look here, and this this was something that was requested by one of our faithful listeners, Cameron Sullivan, so uh, blame him if this episode sucks. Uh, I'm just going to say right now, and you can, you can publicly shame him on... They must be destroyed on site on Facebook, our Facebook group. So that, that would be the place to do it. Um, is that actually still the best way of getting in contact with us, Lee? It is the single best way to get in contact with this podcast and have your uh, questions read and your uh, comments responded to. But yeah, we're going to be doing the uh, Iron Eagle films, the, the one big uh, Lewis Gossett Jr. franchise. It should be a lot of fun. We do have some things to uh, get to first, a little bit of host cleaning. Uh, we, we have a comments here from, from listeners over the last couple weeks. Uh, on our Friends of Eddie Coyle Zero Effect episode, someone named Thrift Dig said, Nice to hear Zero Effect being reviewed favorably. My band, the Grey Boy All-Stars, did the score for it. Nice. Yeah, so... Yeah, that's... <laughs> Yeah, thanks for listening. Glad to hear. Cool. I, I don't know. That's that was a surprise. I don't really have a response to that except thank you for listening. And uh, I kind of like the score for that movie. So you know. Yeah, there you go. Our uh, other sort of could we dare call him a super super fan, super listener, uh, CB Fall. <laughs> he's he's a he's our most dedicated writer at this point. Certainly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, on our Lee Van Teeth uh, guest appearance there for the radio show, he said, super cool, yes. And on our Nosferatu episode, he said, totally interesting podcast. I like hearing the excellent and brutally honest reviews of both the original and remake of Nosferatu. So, wow. uh, yeah, thank you, CB Fall. Much appreciated. Yeah. We liked um, recording that one, so, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think this podcast is going to be a little less... Uh, little less heady and uh, upper own asses uh, than the uh, Nosferatu one was, I, I'm, I'm kind of thinking. but uh, This source material is slightly less engaging than Nosferatu. 
<laughs> just, just, just ever so slightly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think we can uh, move on to um, what we've been watching as of late and uh, anything we might have purchased or anything along those lines. So um, we'll move over to uh, Gary first if you have anything you want to mention, sir. Nothing crazy to mention. I watched the new Star Trek film, and I thought it was a nice change of pace between J.J. Abrams and Justin Lin because it was it seemed more action packed and it made it a lot of fun. So if you haven't seen that one yet, I'd recommend you check it out. You know, even though there's a few caveats to it, like the Sulu thing that George Takei was very very buoyant about, like don't uh, put my name out there because it wasn't Roddenberry's idea and it wasn't mine either. So yeah. Oh yeah. Don't, don't go making Sulu gay on my on my watch, you know. <laughs> Besides that, I catch up a lot of TV. You know, I've I've been watching the Brothers Winchester on Supernatural. I'm a couple seasons behind on that, so I've been catching up with that. And how many seasons are they in for that show? Oh, though they gotta be on like eleven by now. Wow. Yeah, it's at least eleven, if not twelve, by now. Yeah. My um, wife got way into that like a, a few years ago, and they were already on I think nine. So yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, besides that, I've watched a little... I've been catching up on some horror TV. You know, The Strain has been pretty decent. Scream Queens, I need my Chanel fix on a weekly basis, so I love that show. Mm-hmm. Um, Ash vs. Evil Dead is better than any movie they could have made, I think, so they've been glad they're, they're going on with this episodic thing and not going crazy. Say, hey, let's make another big movie. No, because I think you're doing just fine with this, like, serial style of uh, the the misadventures of ash williams and uh it's it's real fine and they need to keep doing that you know? yeah and it seems like they have like a sort of you know a really decent and consistent budget on tv compared to what they have over the entire film series so it's kind of nice that that every every episode kind of you know feels the same and connected to everything else it, it is the most stable thing that that was ever been done with the whole franchise in my opinion Mm. And it, it show it shows that the more and more you watch it, you know. And uh, I, that's really about purchases. I, I really didn't buy a whole lot though. I got the Lone Wolf and Cub set for, oh, yeah. from uh, cr- Criterion, but I, I haven't watched any of that yet, so I can't really comment on you know how much I love the transfers or the extras. But it's packed. It's it's baby card, so you got to love that. Yeah. If you've never seen it before, they're they're pretty wild films. I like the Japanese version. I'm I'm a little. I'm a little hesitant to uh, give my nod of nod of approval to the uh, to the American uh, sort of edited down versions. The Shogun Assassin and stuff. Yeah, man, I hate those. <laughs> <laughs> but um, besides that, you know, I, if I had to pick, pick a big shout out to, to those Vestron Blu-rays, they're a little, they're a little pricey. But if you're really a fan of those movies, I, I'd say pick them up because the transfers are glorious and they put some work into the extras, and I, I think they're worth the money. So nice. Go, go fetch those. I got Chopping Mall and uh, Blood Diner so far. Oh yeah, I saw I saw uh, Chopping Mall was out there. Um, you know Mike Murphy from uh, Cinema and Beef. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I'm, uh, he's he's a, he's a friend of mine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He was gushing over over that uh, that coming out. So he's he's a Wynorski guy, and I I know uh, Mr. Wynorski was big on getting this beautiful transfer that I, I got to see on the big screen when he came to Chicago to finally. To, to blu-ray and he was uh it was a long time coming for that and i'm glad for him you know it is it is nice to see a lot of those on really good transfers because you see a lot of that wynorski stuff and a lot of that david Ducato uh, stuff is just like direct vhs rips to dvd that just look 
absolute shit. But yeah, that's it gives them that that certain charm, though. See, it does. <laughs> uh, although when you see like the, the the actual tracking lines and the uh, the blue screen where they they were about to press play and they were just recording that onto the DVD, that <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty bad. I know. Yeah. Uh, all right, uh, Daniel, you have anything you want to mention? Uh, I've got a couple. I'm uh, I'm going to record a, a kind of intermission episode at some point with a few of the things I've watched the last couple of weeks, so I won't mention any of those. But I will plug something I did when I wasn't here, which is uh, I did a podcast with my buddy Kit, who does uh, Watching Rebel Cop with Kit Power mm-hmm. podcast. Since he is now above uh, the whatever the limit was for his Patreon donations, he is now doing uh, a sort of monthly, I think it's monthly, bringing back a former guest and doing another movie other than RoboCop. Um, and uh, I was asked back, and I said, I want to do Terminator 2 Judgment Day. So you can go listen to me talk about a movie that I loved when I was 12 years old, Terminator 2 <laughs> Judgment Day, uh, over at uh, uh, Kit's website. And I'm sure Lee will put a link in the show notes. Oh, I definitely will. How do you love it now, though? I actually got, you know, it's, I can't not like that movie. Yeah, it's I, just, I, it's, I, have di- it's, I have different feelings, you know, myself, because mostly Eddie Furlong. Eddie is... Furlong was definitely much more enjoyable to me when I was 12 than now that I'm in my 30s. So yeah, I will definitely uh, not defend oh. that performance. When were you um, 12? He's got a motorbike. He's, he's, you know, he knows how to steal stuff. He's real cool, but then... The, you turn, you turn twenty five. You realize this kid's a real fucking douchebag. He, he really is. Um, in fact, we we spent quite a bit of time talking about the the uh, just the failures, not just in performance, but in just the idea of pretending that this character is in any way consistent uh, with who his background is supposed to be. Because this is the whitest Whitington kid ever, and yet he's supposed to have been traveling around with Central American paramilitary groups. So, you know, uh, there, there's that, and uh, he's he's just not a very convincing kid. Um, everything other than him, I, I actually still quite enjoy. Um, I, I do what, about enjoy that, what about that furlong scream? <laughs> <laughs> you know, that still, that still falls under the Eddie Furlong phenomenon, so uh, I'm just, I'm just going to say, you know, it, it hasn't aged well. I'll just well, leave well, well, here's the real question. Do you feel he got better in Brain Scan? I haven't seen Brain Scan, so... Oh. <laughs> oh, you're missing you're missing out, man. <laughs> We're gonna have to do brain scan then, it's, uh, it's, Daniel. It, it's not him. It's it's the uh, I guess you would call it the bad guy in the movie. That I was guess the, the, the trickster or something like that. Yeah, the trickster was amazing looking. I'm I'm kind of ashamed he didn't do so much more. Of that guy. Yeah, there's a, there was franchise potential there. I think, but uh, I think that was sort of the period where those sort of horror franchises were dying out and becoming passe. So, but yeah, you you guys did the. I, I listened to the commentary like the first day that uh, podcast came out. I, I watched the film and listened to the commentary, and you guys did the uh, director's cut, the very long director's cut of Team yeah. Terminator Two. Yeah, that that was that was a bit of a sitting session to talk through that entire film. But that that was enjoyable because that was the first time I'd ever seen a director's cut. I actually didn't know there was a director's cut, so it was it was uh, fun to uh, watch through that and listen to you guys talk about it. So, yeah, no, yeah, yeah. It, it was a lot of fun to record. I mean, honestly, I watched the film and then recorded the next day, uh, you know, while watching the film again, and it was more fun to talk about than it was even to watch, honestly. So, um, yeah, um, Lee, Lee, I think Lee liked that uh, podcast episode, so I'll just tell people to go listen to that. And watch the yeah. Movie. Well, actually, I, I would I would recommend uh, Kit Powers' uh, 
talking about RoboCop podcast anyway, because I just like the idea. It's so unique. Just once a month, he gets a guest on, and they do a commentary for RoboCop, because according to him, it's the greatest film ever made. So, <laughs> Okay, so I do have a couple things to mention. Just briefly, I made some purchases. Uh, if you're not aware, Barnes & Noble have their uh, 50% off all Criterion uh, sale for the entire month of November. So I was like, fuck yeah, I'm taking advantage of that. I'm going to jump on that. And I thankfully stopped myself from paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars because I very well could have when I looked at all the titles available. But I picked up uh, Mulholland Drive. I picked up Roman Polanski's Macbeth. And I picked up Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. And those are all sort of, I'm considering future investments in the podcast. Uh, so I can see that. Yeah, that sounds um, like a plan. I'm 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 kind of thinking uh, you and me should uh, bushwhack Jack Graham and get him in there for uh, Mahal and Drive at some point. Yeah, I think he would come on for any one of those three. Yeah, I, I I think he would, but I think I think we should have a standing rule where Jack Graham comes in for every David Lynch film we do. As long as long as I get to write a uh, five minute synopsis for each one. Well, yeah, yeah. Well, that's a given. <laughs> because I just uh, want. I just want to see you try to figure these films out in, in a synopsis. <laughs> you got to give me like two weeks to uh, to engage with them. Then, <laughs> <laughs> well, were you going to say something there, Gary? I have seen none of those movies. I actually, if I, if I had a, a shame list, it'd be it take years to write, and they're they're all on there. Uh, those most of David Lynch's catalog actually is on there. Honestly, when when I think about it, uh, all of us are you know pretty uh, devoted film nerds. I think, and we all have shame lists. I think we all have pretty long shame lists. Honestly, about stuff like, oh, I should have seen this by now. Oh, I should have seen this by now. You know, the whole reason I do this podcast is to give me an excuse to watch stuff I wouldn't watch otherwise. So you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't like hanging out with Lee and talking about film. This is just like homework for me that's that's the only reason i'm here yeah we uh, outside of this we aggressively hate each other that's yeah <laughs> um we're the siskel and ebert of the uh you know tiny tiny audience podcast film podcast universe you know oh, great so which one am i well i guess i must be siskel then because i'm the yeah. bald guy you're the bald guy and i'm the fat one so you know <laughs> You're 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 the cool Ebert who grew a big beard though, <laughs> and you're the cool Siskel who uh, drinks heavily. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, fuck Siskel and Ebert. I can't, I think that's what we're saying right now. Yeah, we do their job I, better. I would like to see an at the movies with uh, Lee and Daniel though. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd like to be on uh, syndicated television in the nineties. <laughs> uh. As for stuff I watched, I'll just mention one thing. Uh, I watched the new sort of uh, Jeff Bridges film, Hell or High Water, which is this sort of neo-Western slash crime film set in West Texas about these two brothers who are going around. Uh, one of them is, uh, what's his name, who's the new Captain Kirk? Um, Chris, Chris Pine? Pine. Chris Pine, yeah. Thankfully, you know, dirtying himself up, and although he still looks pretty, but, you know, he's trying at least to uh, get more dramatic, I guess, to put it. Uh, lightly, but uh, two brothers running around West Texas robbing these little uh, mid-level banks, just robbing their cash tills, not robbing their their safes or anything like that. It's really good. Jeff Daniels is, did I say Jeff Daniels, Jeff Bridges? I'm trying to think of which one's the big Lebowski, goddammit. Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges, yes, thank you. He's really good, although I wish he would start speaking in his normal voice again, because ever since he did True Grit, he keeps doing that fucking mumbling 
fucking Texas accent in almost all of his films that it's starting to get a little annoying, but it's really good, though. It's kind of like a mix between Lone Star and No Country for Old Men and then just like a really good 70s kind of uh, crime film. And I and I like it. It's kind of a self-aware film as well because some of the characters kind of know they're in a Western and they know it's far too... They're far too advanced in, in human history now for this to be a Western anymore. And, like, people should just... Stop trying to pretend they're in a Western. Let's just stop trying to pretend they're cowboys and shit. Uh, it's, it's a very interesting film. I, I you, was... should, you should put this on our... I mean, we should do this in the next couple of months and do it alongside Mystery Road. Actually, that is a excellent suggestion because it also reminds me a lot of Mystery Road. That's, uh, that's, that's a thing. We're going to do that. <laughs> All right, in two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, hi- highly recommended. This this is going to go on my uh, best best of list for uh, this year. So awesome. Yeah. Um, I also I'll also mention one I watched. I don't know if I want to put it on my best of list or worst of list or what the fuck list. Uh, it's called the Greasy Strangler. <laughs> and wow, uh, I, I got to say, um, John Waters doing napoleon dynamite is probably the best way i can kind of put it i I don't i don't know how to i don't even know how to describe this movie um my wife went on a date to see that movie and uh had a similar response Uh, i can't even describe it yeah i it's the most unique movie i've seen in years i'll I'll give it that i i I think i have to rewatch it to decide whether i like it or not but goddamn that's that's a that's a different one yeah the greasy strangler (laughs) <laughs> I have not taken the plunge yet. Yeah, I, I know some people of you know some people in our in our sort of podcasting circles have definitely uh, championed it, but uh, yeah, I, I got to rewatch it. I I don't know. I just don't know yet. <laughs> but I, I do recommend people watch it though, just because it's an experience. It is definitely a sort of a film experience. So awesome. Yeah. So I guess we can move on now to. Uh, Doing the Iron Eagle films, I'll I'll, I'll just go through the. Uh, you forgot uh, our game, Lee. You got you got to play the game. Oh, that's right. Shit. Fuck. Thanks for reminding me. I I was just full disclosure here. I've been drinking bullet bourbon for like the last hour and a half or so because we've been trying. You know, we're just working out some technical kinks and stuff here. So uh, I apologize to you, Gary. I almost forgot to uh, to uh, put you in the movie game here, but uh, we will now do. There can be only one filmography. There can be only one filmography. So, Gary Hill, sir, this is a question posed to you. You have to pick the filmography of one of these two actors that I mentioned. You can only have one of these for the rest of your life. This is sort of a desert island question where if you're on a desert island and you had the choice between these two actors, you can only pick one in their entire filmography for the rest of your life. So you have the choice of Val Kilmer or Michael Madsen. Well, I, I know more Val Kilmer films, so I'd go with Val Kilmer on that one. Oh, okay. Okay, damn it, because I, I actually did research. I looked through your, your Facebook likes, and I was like, okay, what, what, can, I, what can I fucking... Uh, what two people can I bring up? <laughs> I thought there was going to be more of a struggle. <laughs> no, not really. No, no. 
between those two, yeah, I mean, I like Madsen, okay, but I got more of a, I got more of a kinship to to Val Kilmer, if you will. Yeah, and and I was trying to pair these two together too because uh, they're sort of you know they've done like you know like a handful of like signature like really great films, and then they've just done a lot of direct to video stuff that a lot of people have never seen. <laughs> for for obvious reasons, yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, shit. Uh, I'll be honest. The only Val Kilmer thing that really means the shit to me is probably Kiss Kiss. Well, no, shit. Real Genius and Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Yeah. Those would be the only two that would like even make that remotely difficult for me. But what I, do you well, what do you think of the Doors? You just take it or leave it? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's it's not uh, it's not my favorite Stone. You know me for for me, Oliver Stone is always about the uh, the political side. You know. Yeah. The Doors is kind of that. Like, yeah, it's all right. I mean, it's a great performance, but I don't really care about the movie one way. Well, yeah, the rest of the movies is kind of bullshit. But, but uh, what, what about Michael Madsen, though? I mean, for me, it's just Tarantino collaborations. Just you Tarantino know, stuff, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just just for I mean, just for the Kill Bill movies and Reservoir Dogs. No, no free, oh. no free Willy love. Well, that's that's the first thing I saw him was Free Willy. I was going to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> I think the first thing I ever saw him in was Reservoir Dogs. So, I mean, you know. Um, yeah, no, I, <laughs> I haven't seen Free Willy in, you know since it was new. I think it was on like pay per view was the last time I saw that. So, oh. what ninety two or so? Jeez. Uh, so I, I have no functional memory of that beyond the, the whale jumping over the kid, and uh, the South Park episode that parodied it. That's the only thing I have <laughs> memory of Free Willy from. <laughs> Was it uh, Will's the Axe or Will's, Will's, yeah, Will's the Axe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I only have vague memories of the South Park parody at that because I haven't been really a South Park fan in a while. So you know, I still remember the uh, Simpsons parody where the whale falls on the kid. <laughs> God, I don't remember that. I mean, are, is that is that the Simpsons or is that the Critic? No, it was, it was the Simpsons. There was this brief like parody of it where. The kid's like, yeah, Willie, go! And then it's, all of a sudden it shoots to a close-up of the kid and the shadow looming over him, and he's like, ah! <laughs> and the whale falls on him. <laughs> nice. Who is Michael Madsen in that? He's the, the well, the, not, the, not the father, but like the the living father, if you will, the boy. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Maybe I should have went with, like, uh, Vil Kilmer or Nick Cage. Maybe I should have picked that instead. Oh well. Oh well. We can always we can always come back and do Movie God at some point with Gary, and then <laughs> then we'll maybe we'll come up with a better choice.
All right. I guess we can move on to our movies now. We're going to be doing the Iron Eagle franchise, and I'll get into the particulars of the very first Iron Eagle at the very least. Iron Eagle started in 1986, directed by Sidney J. Fury, who did uh, three of the four Iron Eagle films, and I was actually quite surprised to see what his uh, director credits were. Everything from the uh, Ipcrest file, Superman 4, The Quest oh, for yeah. Peace. That was his, yes. Yeah, to uh, Ladybugs with uh, Rodney Dangerfield. So th this guy has run the entire gambit of sort of quality as far as films go, I kind of think. Uh, written by Kevin Allen Elders and Sidney J. Fury. Uh, starring Louis Gossett Jr. as Colonel Charles Chappie Sinclair. Jason Gedrick, uh, who I know from the Heavenly Kid, of all things. That... <laughs> I've seen that movie. Yeah. <laughs> that's one I that's one I know from like, being a kid, yeah. I saw yeah. that one when I was like 10 years old. Or I saw I saw that on, we, we had this channel in Canada. I'm sure you had the counterpart in the U.S. too. It was like the, uh, it was called the Vision Network. It was the, you know, the the universal religious faith kind of network where you, you had all faiths represented. <laughs> and the Heavenly Kid was one of the movies they put in it. And I don't think they screened their movies. They just thought, oh, it's got a guardian angel in it. So it must be good. <laughs> and a kid who smokes weed and gets high by floating above a bed. Yeah, and, and Jason Gidrick gets to be, you know, turned cool by, by his guardian angel, and then he gets to bang the school slut, and they left that in the film. Like, you don't actually to, see the... We, see... we need to put this film on our list, apparently. <laughs> you, you, you don't get to see the sex scene, but you get to see the the, the, the typical uh, point-of-view shot of the car bouncing up and down, and you hear and you hear the chick. But, uh, yeah, uh, the they didn't screen very well for their movies on the Vision Network, I'll, I'll say that much. David uh, Suchet as the Minister of Defense, uh, Larry B. Scott as Reggie, Carolyn Lagerfeld as Elizabeth Masters, Jerry Levine as Tony, uh, Robbie as Milo Bazin, Michael Bowen as Notcher, and Tim Thomerson as Colonel Ted Masters. Nice to see him uh, pop up even in a small, small role. Uh, so, uh, Daniel, you want to go to your synopsis? Sure. Um, I just have one for all four films, and I'm just going to read it now, if that's okay with you guys. Mm-hmm. All right. Iron Eagle is a film that takes the throbbing erection of the Reagan-era military-industrial complex and uses the silver screen as a jizz rag. <laughs> Teenager Doug Masters must use the skills he's learned stealing time on a military-grade flight simulator to save his father, who has been shot down over a fictional Middle Eastern state and is going to be left for dead by a feckless, and shall we say, in the light of the 2016 parlance, fairly cucky military establishment. You know you're in for a ride when the U.S. military is depicted as not being quite testosterone-filled enough, and the name Ronnie Reagan is quoting approvingly and nearly worshipfully. Doug is aided in this by amateur mechanic and Air Force reservist Chappie, who ends up acting as a kind of father figure to the boy and aids him in essentially stealing a pair of fighter jets with the goal of performing an extraction mission. Chappie and Doug are aided in this by an Air Force fan club of Doug's fellow high school students called the Iron Eagles, hence the title, and in the end, Doug has to go mano a mano in the air with the strongman leader of the fictional Middle Eastern state, as the leader just happens to have been a bit of a potshot pilot himself back in the day. Iron Eagle 2, The Quest for Peace, leaves the teenage antics behind in favor of a plot revolving around another band of ragtag misfits. This time a group of military incompetents who become part of Operation Dark Star, led once again by Chappie, who are supposedly going to team up with a group of Russians to take out a nuclear weapons program and place in another fictional Middle Eastern country. It turns out that our group of ne'er-do-wells was set up to fail, because the military brass have no time for all this highfalutin detente talk, and would rather keep the Russians as their enemies. 
The Russians and the Americans stripped themselves of their national insignia and joined together alongside Chappie to take out the weapons program themselves, as the methods to be employed by the brass are bound to kill millions by fallout. There's also a romantic subplot between our square-jawed hero and a Russian pilot, who, the one woman in the film, that more or less goes nowhere. The third film, Aces, Iron Eagle 3, this one has Sonny Chiba, has a convoluted plot involving an old former Nazi who has fled to South America, and who is working alongside a drug cartel in Peru. There is a village being terrorized by the cartel, and a major female 90s action girl portrayed by a famous bodybuilder. And yes, she spends some time being tortured while scantily clad, because of course she does. But the core of the film involves Chappie and his pals in an airshow troop, all former World War II pilots, it seems, who hail from the various powers involved in that conflict and who band together to fly World War II aeroplanes equipped with modern weaponry against the Peruvian military targets. The fourth, Iron Eagle 4, BMX and Bandits, has our lead character Doug from the first film Return, although it appears that he's had some plastic surgery as his features are totally different. He spends some time in a Russian POW camp being tortured and has left the military life behind, acting as a crop duster. He's contacted by his old buddy Chappie, who wants him to come and help run a program designed to teach juvenile delinquents a bit of responsibility by allowing them to fly expensive aircraft. Yeah. The team of teenagers are newly shut down by a meddling sheriff, but they stumble upon a scheme to use high-end chemical weapons against Cuba, a plot put into place by a rogue military agent, and must use the skills, their skills, both aerial and criminal, to take down the bad guys. Again, there's a hint of a romantic subplot with one of the female delinquents, which I promise isn't creepy in the slightest. All these movies end with our heroes receiving praise and commendation despite their highly illegal acts, which just goes to show you that in Hollywood, the ends truly do justify the means. <laughs> nice. Yeah, uh, we'll, we'll start a course of Iron Eagle, and uh, we'll just throw it over to Gary. What are your sort of uh, initial thoughts on this one, sir? Well, my first big initial thought is it's probably the best collection of young 80s actors in, in, in a, one film ever collected. Because you you have uh, like you mentioned, but you didn't mention Shawnee Smith, but she's in there, and I've yeah. always had a, I've always had a crush on her. Uh, you mentioned Robbie Rist, who's cousin Oliver from the Brady Bunch. Oh yeah, yep. Uh, Larry B. Scott, you mentioned uh, from Revenge of the Nerds, and yes, ex- Extreme Prejudice, respectively. You know, <laughs> I love that fucking movie. You you got Styles from um, Teen Wolf in this movie. Oh Jesus! Yes, you do. <laughs> yeah, you got you got Court from Friday Part Six in this movie. Yeah, you don't get to bang the boy in this movie though, but he's in this movie. Uh, yeah, yeah, sex doesn't exist in these movies. There's there's more, and uh, there's somebody I'm forgetting too. I'm really mad at myself. Oh, one of the one of the Cobra Kai is actually in this movie as well, in a real small part. But he's oh, really? in this movie as well. Yeah, if you spot him, yeah, he's in there. But uh, this film is, I was going to do this as part of our uh, a Coming on America uh, series <laughs> with this Red Dawn and some other gems from the 80s. Or, you know, it, it made me really happy to be like, you know, sort of those great kids doing stuff kind of movies for you, these, these ragtag bunch of kids who, like 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 Daniel said, they, they just like defy the laws of gravity and, and the, the laws of America to just... <laughs> Go rescue this kid's father, you know. It's all good because he's unjustly being held, you know. I love how easily they just completely have the run of the military base. That was astonishing to me. Because it's it's just completely... like The military in this film is completely incompetent, except for our heroes, who are hyper-competent. The idea that like a whole bunch of like 17-year-old kids just 
you know, hey, look over there, and then suddenly they can hack mainframes and shit. This is, um, I mean, it, it's 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 uh, amazing how it's not even it's not even stupid. It's just amazing. Those computers are even easier to hack than like in fucking uh, Matthew Broderick and War Games. I mean, it's it, it, it's not so much hacking as it is like writing in like run program on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's, it's all they're they're all buddies, everybody, because they, they're they're big old Air Force brats, apparently all of them. So they do. I guess they would have their run of the place, but you know, you think the security would be a little bit better with all this heavy hardware on base and letting yeah. these kids easily allow to load weaponry onto these aircrafts and. But what? Well, whatever. They're, they're kids. They're doing stuff and. I mean, it's ultimately wish fulfillment, right? I mean, it's. it's I mean, these films are clearly made for you know. 12 year olds oh, oh well yeah that's, that's what i was that's what i was gonna say this is actually one of my notes this is basically the 1980s fantasy of a 12 year old who really likes fighter jets i mean it's 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 reagan era like military propaganda as well i mean it's it's completely like recruitment poster for this kid's cool because he likes fighter jets <laughs> join up tomorrow <laughs> hey can we, can we, we we had a local army navy surplus store and i owned that bomber jacket with the patches on it and I, I mentioned this before. I, I I still look good in a pair of aviator sunglasses, and that's the only sunglasses I look good in. So I yeah. got I got to carry that flag for people with big heads. Aviator sunglasses are the way to go. Totally agree. I've I've got that I've got that sort of massive Celtic kind of head myself. So uh, aviators are the only way to go. <laughs> Try to put a pair of Ray Bans on, you look fucking ridiculous. Yes, so don't, exactly. don't don't even go there. Yeah. <laughs> so if anything, this is the film for me because it's kind of like Top Gun without the homophobia in it. So yep. yeah, the, the, there's Ray Bans in that film. You can aviate your sunglasses in this film. So it's it's, 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 it's Top Gun without the douchebags in it, which is interesting because this film was actually it was shot like a little bit before Top Gun or around the same time, and it just it its release got pushed back. So it, it's actually not. It, it's one of those you know just one of those typical. Hollywood things where around the same time a bunch of movies about the same subject matter end up coming out because either they heard about this oh this company's doing this or uh, it's just sort of a kind of a thing in the air at the time you know so which was interesting to me because I I, I could have swore like when I was going into this and like this is the first time I've actually watched these movies I, I was I was assuming that this was just some sort of cheap cash in on Top Gun but it actually isn't so no it's not and I, I, I got I gotta mention the lieutenant because, you know, Lou Gossett Junior and me, we, we have a, a weird kinship and I go I do a lot of conventions, I've met a lot of people over the years and he's in the top three favorite people I've met of all time because it, it, me me and the lieutenant uh with his I don't know if he wore tighter pants in this film with all that booty shaking he was doing. <laughs> but you get some choice, Lou Gossett Junior booty shaking in three out of four of these films. And uh it, you, you get that going on, and but he, between this, Enemy Mine, and Toy Soldiers, I herald the man. Let's put it that way, you know. I'm not yeah. not Left Behind Three, World at War. No. <laughs> oh, is he in that? He uh, he's the president of the United States in that. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. And, and yeah, I I only recently saw Officer and Gentleman, but that those these three films, especially the Chappie character, because. He's kind of like a father figure to everybody, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing. Oh, my dad's been gone for what twenty four hours. I need some guidance. <laughs> and here, here's this wise black man to step up to the mantle and 
I I didn't have a problem with it. <laughs> the absolute truth. You know? <laughs> well, Gossett Jr. sells it, right? I mean, there there's just he's the reason to watch these. Um, if there is a reason to watch these, it's him. Um, because he gives, despite how absurd the whole concept is, he sells it with this like kind of baseline authenticity where you actually kind of believe he's, oh yeah, I'm kind of an army reservist. I'm a colonel. I'm going to be a general in the next movie sort of thing. But I also like, I just kind of like uh, fixing engines. So I do that in my spare time. And you know, it, there is there is the kind of magic negro quality to him in the first film particularly because i mean he's basically just a supporting character for our our he's, kind of hero he's yoda in the first film yeah he's essentially a yoda in the first film yeah. um but but, but they uh, already know they, they already know the shit though so it's not really he's not really needed to pull this mission off it's just he uh our young dung bastards he needs a wingman yeah a, a, a learned wingman to to help <laughs> hey, him on his hey, way hey, a literal, not figurative wingman in this case, you know, yes. because I can only imagine these two going to a bar together and him being like, okay, kid, you got to toughen up and get it hard, all right? Because <laughs> you, you got all these kids that know all about flight, pan, flight, flight plans and, you know, all this not, all this aerial stuff. And they really don't need Chappie, in, in a sense, but you, you need that, that missing piece because, you know, your father's away and he's going to be dead in 36 hours or something, and... Yeah, <laughs> and we got to get him out there, man. Come on, he's gonna be dead in thirty six hours. There, I mean, and clearly these, uh, you know, uh, military strongmen, they they operate by strict timetables. You know, that's yes. That's, you know, they 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 at least gotta wait for the uh, the heroes to make an attempt to save Dad first before they kill him. That's the general setup. But uh, yeah, what I do love about this film is it it really is one of those sort of eighties like just sort of fantasy movies. So you, you can take it on that level and, and really enjoy it. I mean, if you're looking for any sort of realism about military, uh, the, like there's just total, like throughout the entire series, there's inconsistencies about the models of planes used. Like, and there's just continuity problems, just what they're shooting um, compared to different scenes. And uh, I, I saw a lot of this stuff like picked apart when I was doing research on this. And it was like, wow, if, you, if you're a person who's like a military historian, you're going to fucking your, your head, your, your brains are going to leak out of your head watching these movies. But if you're just looking for a good time, this is act, this first one. This is actually fairly enjoyable because it's just kind of fun. I mean, there's one point where uh, Jason Gedrick does a teleport punch early in the movie. The, right after that race, and I mean a race between a fucking plane and a dirt bike, essentially. Like, uh, okay, <laughs> only in the 80s would you see that happen. But when he gets out of the plane there, he's basically standing 15 feet away from the bully. And then in the next shot, he's immediately there punching him in the face. It, it, just well, great. <laughs> he, he used the force like Luke Skywalker. Exactly. Did that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> with, with that one kick they telegraphed. Everybody knows that kick, you know. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's great. They have a they have a chase montage. You know, it's just like Footloose with the tractor montage. They have that. <laughs> they have a a dance a dance a prom dance scene in the in, the, in this film where Larry B. Scott's just dancing his ass off, so yeah. s synchronized dancing. You know. <laughs> Oh man, it's beautiful. Yeah, it, it, this is this is actually a lot of fun. I can see why I can see why it actually made money. I mean, uh, this actually did a box office of twenty four million in the U S. alone. So uh, it, it it definitely connected with people. I mean, it, it definitely sort of speaks to that sort of 
uh, 80s idea of like pro-military, pro kind of fantasy as as well. Uh, I mean, it's it's the last Starfighter, but with real military hardware, essentially. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. I mean, Chappie is essentially the uh, uh, what's his name in Last Starfighter, who who looks just like his Louis Gossett Jr.'s character in Enemy Mine, anyway. So was it Greg? Was the guy's name? In yeah, Last something like that. Yeah, but, but yeah, it's it's a, it's a lot of it's a lot of that sort of same thing. Um, I mean, it's kind of like mixed part Last Starfighter, part Reagan era military industrial complex, part. 80s teen movie, uh, part uh, Campbellian uh, hero's journey, and uh, mix stir and serve cold, and that's what this film is, you know. Well, the, the way I feel all these films are, there's, there's stuff you don't do, you don't outgrow. And with me, it's it's dinosaurs, which I, mm-hmm. I only go to the I only go to the Field Museum in Chicago because that's where the dinosaurs are. And you know stuff like this. I, mean, I, I still go to the Air and Water Show. We have two. We're, we're blessed to have two of them. One in Chicago and one in Gary, Indiana, where they, they have every year they have two. And I'm still amazed by, you know, the shit like the Blue Angels flying over and shit like that, you know, so. Yeah, well, I, I, I live I live uh, basically right right next to an Air Force base. And I mean, we I don't know if they still do them now or not, but we used to have an air show every year here. And we'd have the, uh, the, the famous uh, snowbirds here in Canada. And we used to go see them all the time, too. And I mean, it. It's a lot of fun to see. Like it's it's a really it's a really cool thing. These uh, I, I will say these films kind of remind me of my dad. Um, my dad actually served in the Air Force during Vietnam. Oh yeah. Um, I think he. I always got the feeling he joined so he wouldn't be drafted into the army. Essentially, he didn't talk much about his service, but he he loved these kinds of movies. And I think that you know this kind of general uh, you know fighter jets dogfighting over desert sort of is like what my dad was just always watching on TBS or whatever when I was you know, yeah. young enough to not pay attention to it. Um, I'm sure I saw this movie at some point in my childhood, although I don't have any memory of it at all. Um, but uh, so, so I will say that like visiting these did kind of like make me think of my dad um, in some, you know, in just some pleasant ways, you know, just like, oh yeah, my dad probably saw these a bunch of times, you know, yeah. <laughs> or at least the first two. Um I think we can just sort of maybe sort of start focusing on the second one here. Uh, I, I would like to I would like to just add uh, to just mention before we move on uh, the tape deck. Yeah, um, oh. because it's such a core piece of the film that the kid, uh, you know, both he and Chappie kind of have their uh, they're not like stuffy military people because they like music. And Chappie is kind of like always oh, got his oldies, and you know, this kid he he really likes. Um, power pop um and you know oh man you get me off my rhythm if i don't get my my tape deck in and then i can kill the bad guys but i've got to be playing my music at the time and chappie just kind of accepts it it's like all right yeah let's okay play your music man if that's what you need go and the music's great and the especially in the like the first two films i mean it's amazing actually the talent they had behind this this film they they had basil poldoris doing the actual score and then they had a soundtrack, which was just sort of like a who's who of like uh, maybe B level '80s and some uh, past stars as well. Like they had King Cobra, Dio, Helix, Queen, Twisted Sister. They had the Spencer Davis Group and George Clinton in this as well. Like uh, it's a great soundtrack. Pretty great use of one vision, I gotta say. And, and <laughs> I, I still turn it on, not just because of high, 
this is in two great films from the 1980s and Highlander and this film, you know? Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Uh, that, that's all I really had to add to that just because it's such a, it's such a big part of the film and it's, it's another one of those like what the fuck things. It's just, just go with it. Just go with it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, moving on, Iron Eagle two came out in 88 and, uh, Sydney J Fury was behind this one a while as well. This one's kind of weird because it, immediately it kills off our hero from the first one. It's sort of kills him off. We'll get to that later. But w- what do you guys sort of uh, think of, about this one? We'll, we'll start with you, Gary. It really played on that Cold War angle of, you know, it's we're still kind of in it. We're still kind of, you know, bitter towards our big enemy, which is the Russians. This is kind of like reverse Rocky Four. Well, the end of Rocky Four, anyway, you know. Where Rocky really didn't have a problem with the Russia, but are these these cocky ragtag pilots, they they don't want nothing to do with them, and you know you you can see why from the time this film was made and you know, all that good stuff. Yeah, I thought it was a, a decent concept, like basically to to say let's get these two factions together and let's make brotherhood, I guess, out of it. To 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 go with one common goal with with of course Chappie as your leader. Yeah, it's it's fine. It's probably my least favorite of the bunch, but it's it's fine. Yeah, I I think I kind of agree with you there. I think this is kind of my least favorite of the bunch as well. It feels cheaper than the first one, like to a significant level. I I, I kind of it, it just feels like more kind of pasted together than than anything else. It almost like it just feels like a cheap cash in to a certain degree, and it's kind of a downer. It's just kind of like okay, our hero from the first one. He's immediately gone, and he's just like an afterthought. Like Chappie doesn't even seem too broken up by it. Like, <laughs> just all right, let's get on with the mission. I will say I appreciate uh, we have some co-ed showers here, uh, predating Starship Troopers, <laughs> but post-dating RoboCop. So you know. Yeah, yeah, and this this is interesting. Like this is uh, I think the the first one was uh, yeah, it was a, a USA, Israel, and Canadian co-production. This one here's a Canadian and Israel production, so it's it much more falls into like strictly uh, exploitation. So so you see a lot of Canadian actors in this one, like Colin Fuhrer. This is his debut role, and then this one is the uh, Russian pilot there, the uh, Russian ace. Uh, and then you got you got guys like uh, Maury Chaikin in this, and then uh, Daniel, someone we're going to be talking about sometime soon uh, when we get our homicide uh, podcast off ground there, Clark Johnson. Yeah. Holy shit. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, uh, tons of, I, I, uh, this is probably the most forgettable of the four, honestly. Um, it's probably the least interesting to talk about. Pretty entertaining. I mean, it's just, it's just got some cool people in it. Um, I kind of liked the, uh, ragtag misfits, uh, bit of it towards the, you know, kind of that, middle third the kind of uh, quality where you've got the these guys who are kind of cut-ups and they're I, I i liked the fact that they were adults um just because you don't get that like deep sense of unreality so much with the first one like the first one is the most absurd but also the most fun right um and here we kind of lose a little bit of that kind of teenage fun but it kind of feels like oh okay at least this feels a little bit more i kind of get that this isn't they're they're not actively committing war crimes at this point right you know i think for me the uh the big interesting thing, um, at least in terms of like where it ends, is the idea that these guys, that these military people, all like throw down their insignia upon um, you know learning. Oh, we were tricked by our military brass and that sort of thing, and we're going to work together 
and we're going to do this in order to defend Israeli military policy, essentially. Yeah. You know, um, I mean, you know, this is very obviously an Israeli co-production because it is kind of like, and then there are all these states around Israel and they're all developing nuclear weapons and they're just going to wipe Israel off the map if we don't, uh, you know, stop them. Um, so you can, it's very clearly uh, kind of kind of playing into that uh, mythos. Uh, but the idea that you literally, like the, the our, our heroes literally end the film with, insignia that's like half the russian flag and half the u.s flag it's just kind of fascinating to me you know the yeah. idea that, 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 that this film series which began with this very like rah-rah usa kind of thing um by by part two has become this like internationalist you know like the un has taken over you know <laughs> <laughs> world government is upon us uh the trilateral commission is after us you know sort of thing yeah I feel more about this film like I do with most films that say, let's get Russia and the U.S. together films. But much like Police Academy Mission to Moscow, which <laughs> seemed like a good idea at the time, but it was executed poorly. But you yeah. still get some good laughs out of Ron Perlman and shit, you know? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm reading way more into it. I mean, it's not that deep. It was just, it, you know, I was definitely kind of watching all four of these for the first time over a couple of days. There was definitely an experience of watching the progression of kind of where the um the allegiances in terms of the geopolitics lie was let's, an interesting bit let, for me. Let's leave it at this. It's, it's not spies like us. I mean No, it's, it's not. No. no. <laughs> it doesn't have Vanessa Angel in in her underwear either. So Yeah, no no uh, you're right, Lee. There is no sex in any of these films. I mean, the most you get is that kind of that chaste, you know, oh, I wasn't looking at you in the in the shower thing, you know, and that yeah. was that was about it. I think the probably the most standout thing is more Louis Gossett Jr. booty shaking in this one. Like this, it's much more much more predominant in this one. Uh, much more uh, explicit, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, this this was the, this was the one that was was honestly was starting to put me to sleep a little bit. Like actually, the rest of the series, I'm actually pretty cool with. But this was the one where it's like, uh, they it feels like they're just kind of dropping the ball here, and. Yeah. I don't know unless unless anyone has anything else they want to really say about this one, uh, we can kind of move on. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm cool with that. I mean, I have, it, I have no further comments on this. Film. I mean, it, it it performed a lot less than the first one. It only made ten million, and you got to kind of wonder what the budget was for this one. Uh, I, I don't, they don't give any budgets on any of these, but um, it also has a pretty good soundtrack. I will say that the soundtrack's still pretty decent. I mean, you got like uh, Doug and the Slugs and Alice Cooper and Rick Springfield, Bruce Springsteen in this one, so it's it's still fairly solid. It it really it really does come off as a really cheap uh, Canadian tax shelter production more than anything else. But uh, yeah, we can move on to um, Aces Iron Eagle Three from 1992, and this is um, this is one that has the one different director who is uh, John Glenn, who is probably best known for doing all the 1980s Bond films. Uh, both the Roger Moore and the uh, what's his face Timothy uh, Dalton. Yeah, Timothy Dalton ones as well. And uh, yeah, this this one's fun. This one is fun because it's so full of stereotypes that it's just ridiculous. Like every character in this is a stereotype. Uh, what's your sort of initial thoughts on this one, Gary? Oh, I I, I love films like this. I, I love this for the same reason why I love Space Cowboys. <laughs> the fact that you got these these, uh, these old school dudes who 
gonna show uh, how how these these young kids how it's done and even even with the old technology in this one using these uh these relics of planes to go take on this 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 enemy <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh they don't give a shit and I, I love the sunny chivas in this film yeah although I, I was hoping for some some sunny chiba uh chappy dual booty shaking but i didn't get it <laughs> I'm just gonna keep mentioning Lewis Gossier's ass throughout this whole for all these reviews because that, that's that's he, that's that's why I watch the films. It's he, waiting for the booty shaking, you know. It's he, he loves it, but he loves it. Why should I love it? You know, come on now. He's obviously <laughs> proud of it. He's a very nice looking man, and he shakes his ass like a champ, and I'm okay with <laughs> yeah. it. I wanted to pull out a dollar bill. I was like, come on. <laughs> I, I love the, the the art of the you know. Oh, we're 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 old, but we're gonna go do something. Aspect of this film, and they they pull it off real well. It's a great ensemble of international men going to go. Yeah, take, it, you know? it's, it's great, isn't it? Okay, the Americans, the British, the Germans, and the Japs. We're all friends now, but we don't like those Colombians and those fucking drugs. So we're gonna no. go after them. <laughs> <laughs> this movie should have been subtitled "Cocaine is a Hell of a Drug." Yeah. <laughs> it was interesting. This is like the first film in the series that was actually R-rated, uh, but just for violence and maybe cleavage, maybe cleavage, because you got uh, Ra- Rachel McLeish as Anna, who's basically playing uh, the female Rambo in this one. Like, oh, she's tough, man. Yeah. Her arms, man. Man, I wish I had arms like that. Holy fuck. This is one of the great flexing scenes in 80s films, in my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> when she's, like, doing the rings, but she's in shackles, you know? Yeah. Let me show you how strong I am. And I can't Just look at me. <laughs> I will free myself with gymnastics, motherfucker. I'm, I'm, I'm almost surprised they didn't have a scene where she's, like, chained around the chest and she just, like, used the, the strength of her chest muscles to break the fucking chain or something like that. That, 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 may, that maybe even would have taken it even further over the top, but... Yeah. I don't think this film had budget for breaking chains. Yeah, <laughs> I don't think that was that was a thing. But this film looks really good, though. Like this oh, looks, looks way better looks, in part two. So, so three and four both have the kind of virtue of knowing what their budget was and working within it. And uh, you know, here it's like, oh well, clearly we don't have the money for the uh, you know kind of high end fighter jets anymore. So. We're going to put them in an air show. We got rickety old airplanes, and we're going to turn that into a virtue by tr- building a plot around that. You know, yeah. um, I really admired that about the film. Uh, I mean, legitimately. I thought that was like, oh, yeah, no, this makes perfect sense. This is how you do this, because otherwise you just got a bunch of like really shitty looking like model footage or something and trying to pretend like you're still making the same kind of movie, and clearly you're not. I just thought it was amazing that Sonny Chiba basically is playing the same character he plays in Kill Bill years later, where <laughs> where, he, where he's playing that overly stereotypical Japanese guy to you know suck in tourists or whatever in, right. in Kill Bill, but here he's basically just playing that character straight. <laughs> oh, I'm so dishonored. Oh, it's like holy fuck, man. How many times does he use the word honor in this film? That's I, it's that's, a lot. that's it's every a... other word he says. Yeah. Honor, dishonor, honor. I just I just feel like Sonny Chiba needed a paycheck at this point, right? Like that's why he's in this. Which is which is sad because he's one of the most badass action stars ever and I think he's highly underappreciated over here in the West. So I mean, I I literally was watching this and went 
that looks a lot like that's that clearly can't be Sonichiba, and then looked it up on Wikipedia and went, "Holy shit, that's Sonichiba!" Yeah, that was that was kind of my response in terms of watching the film. Um, <laughs> it's a fun movie, though. I mean, it, you're right. I mean, it is. It makes a virtue out of its defects, and it. I mean, it, it. I mean, all of these films are just filled with fucking cliches. I mean, if you've seen a movie before, you know what the structure of these stories are. Um, but it kind of works regardless. The same as the first one. It just kind of like, oh yeah, yeah, I'm I'm along for this ride. It's a fun watch. Um, you got a cool evil Nazi. You got a cool uh, black dude, funny black dude in the movie yeah. who isn't Louis Gossett Jr. So yeah. <laughs> I'm I'm surprised it wasn't like Mario Van Peebles or something like that. Like <laughs> <laughs> this would have been around the era where he. I think at that like point, that. I think at that point, even his uh, asking price was too high for this. I mean, maybe. I, maybe. I think of this is the the cut rate version of the guy from Die Hard. You know. Yeah. Uh, sort of that, oh, where, what was the black where, guy's name in um, Kickboxer? Oh shit! Uh, the guy that do everything around town. That guy. You know? Yeah. Right. I mean, it's exactly that character. It's like, oh man, I'm in the hood, man, and so I can I can go to the jungles of Peru. I, I'm tough. You know, well, well, he, you know, he and he can also plot. he can also outfit their their assault on the uh, drug dealers because you know he just has to walk around his neighborhood and get all these AK forty sevens and shit. You know, <laughs> well, that's how violent L.A. was in the nineties, don't you? Haven't haven't you? You know, didn't you listen to Charlton Heston at all in the nineties? I, I I should have remembered from our Predator two fucking episode. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's he's working with those same drug gangs. They're just you know they're just moving moving material over. They they all got killed by the Predator, and he he's just sort of collected all the weapons after the fact. I do kind of like the idea that the Iron Eagle and Predator franchises exist in the same universe. I'm I'm going with it. <laughs> that would be something. Louis Gossett Jr. fighting a Predator. <laughs> oh, that's that's Predator Three right there, man. Hopefully, no, it'd be Predator Four actually. But... Maybe no, it, it's Predator Three. It was just made in 1994. You know, L- Louis Gossett Jr., Danny Glover, team up, fight a predator, but they do it in a sort of black exploitation style where they're like as badass as Shaft. And... Oh, <laughs> they do, do it with the weapon I'll, style. I'll do you one better, okay? Chuck Norris. Lou Gossett Jr. and a Predator, Firewalker 2. <laughs> Boom! I, I thought I thought you were going to go with Chuck Norris, Louis Gossett Jr., and a Predator. They share an apartment together, and they just can't get along. That'd be great. <laughs> uh, the Predator doesn't agree with Chuck Norris's politics. <laughs> The, the predator thinks Chuck Norris is just a little bit too far right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they, they all wish Lou would just stop washing his washing his greasy chip hand on the couch. You know, <laughs> I just scotch guarded that. Oh, oh, come on! You got the remote control all greasy. <laughs> How am I gonna watch Pat Robertson now? <laughs> <laughs> the uh, the predator just wants to watch uh, you know nature documentaries all the time. Yeah, the predator gets way into David Attenborough. You know, um, Louis Gossett Jr. is like, "Why are you watching this stuff, man?" Doing research, <laughs> and then he, he and then he shakes his booty. Yeah, <laughs> and we get a scene where Louis Gossett Jr. teaches the predator to shake his booty. Oh yeah, yeah. gets him to lighten up a little bit. You gotta stop killing people and skinning them and taking their skulls out and shit. You just lighten up, man. Shake your booty a bit. Just Play some James Brown on the fucking headphones and listen to some R and B. Come on, man. Let's yeah. do it. 
Yeah. There's a jukebox in the corner. They like smack it to get it to play. Man, I'm really liking the sitcom idea. Let's let's do this <laughs> shit. But uh, yeah, this fun. This film is a, a probably my favorite out of the whole series. Honestly, this is a lot of fun. Like it just works really well. I mean it. It's so ridiculous, and it's embraces how ridiculous it is. And it just seeing World War Two plane, seeing that stunt sequence where he. <laughs> the plane goes upside down and the guy falls out of his fucking cockpit and he's holding by his, his seat belts and then Luz Costa Jr. has to come along and tip the plane back over with with his wing. I mean, come on. that That's fucking beautiful. <laughs> that's probably the best stunt. I mean, that's probably the best moment in any in, in any of the films. You know, just, yeah. just I mean, that that's an amazing... I was amazed that that stunt happened in this movie. Um, yeah, that that was great. And kind of kind of disappointed, though, that uh, Sonny Chiba had to essentially become a, a even more of a stereotype and do a yes. kamikaze run. <laughs> I was like, he, he did it for honor though. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Uh, those, he, was, he, he was one step away from putting on a headband with a red dot in the side <laughs> yeah. before he did it, you know, and then you get the, the, the loud, like the, the sting, you know, and everything. Yeah. No, yeah, like, yeah. there wasn't enough of a budget for that. So it was fine. <laughs> I, I think one of the biggest things that this has over any other Iron Eagle film is that all the all your heroes are likable. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Doug Masters is the most likable character there ever was. He's just this, this cocky little shit, much like Eddie Furlong in, in Terminator 2. You know, you, you herald him when you're a kid, but you watch him now, like, this kid's not very likable. But in this film, all, all your, your, your four aces, as the title, you know, says... Are pretty likable. Even Fred Dalton Thompson is likable. The guy that owns the air show and yeah, I'm taking pictures of my planes and they they just blow them to shit and they don't care, you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, not a scratch. Don't worry, not a scratch, buddy. I'm I'm taking these into combat. Not a scratch. Don't we're good. And I, and I love how the aces are basically doing the Clint Eastwood thing in uh, Grand Torino, where they're all basically just throwing racist slurs at each other throughout the whole oh, yeah. film. <laughs> not not quite as uh not as as horrid as as the stuff uh eastwood says in that film but i mean you know they're basically you know alluding to oh you fucking crote bastard and oh you jet motherfucker and like they, they've been friends a long time so they feel yeah. comfortable saying these things you know like oh he's got to leave because he's got the nazi hunters after him oh yeah so can we can we can we ask like this this is supposedly it takes place in 1991 or so and yet these are are they supposed to actually be World War II era pilots because these guys don't look to be in their 70s. His friends are supposed to be yeah they're supposed to be World War II pilots and uh, Chappie is supposed to be younger than them because he mentions right. he didn't get a chance to serve in the war so these guys are all I'm assuming at the very least late they're supposed to be late 60s so they're all pretty well preserved at that point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's there's a little bit of a like playing with time thing going on here. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, it doesn't kill the film at all. I mean, it's still it's still very enjoyable. But it, I, I was sitting there and kind of doing the math, going, yeah, no, even even in '91, this is a little bit uh, implausible. So assume it's like '89, and then that way uh, we find out our hero in the in the next film didn't stay in Russia for any more than like three years. <laughs> sure. <laughs> oh, the the one thing I didn't like about this film, the, what you mentioned when he goes all kamikaze and, and you know, kills himself for for the for the the, the benefit of the others, even when he does it, you know, they they're like, oh well, he's dead. Let's move on. These other things. Yeah. Because they, they don't give like there's like no emotion to say you know we just lost our friend in this horrible death. 
But when the fucking British guy shows up after he had to bail out, they're like, "Hey, man, he's still alive! All right." You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah. They they take the overcooking of steak more seriously than the death of a Japanese man, and uh, yeah. it tells you all you need to know about morality in these. Well, films. come on, come on. He he lied about being an ace, Daniel. So. Oh well, you know, so so really, he deserved to die. I yeah, guess. exactly. exactly. It, it it did end like an '80s sitcom. Oh, he burned the stakes. What'll he do next? You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'll cook the stakes. You fly the plane. You know. Yeah. God. <laughs> Wacky black kid. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, I guess we go on the move. Uh, mention uh, Iron Eagle on the attack, or Iron Eagle Four from 1995, and then uh, Sydney J. Fury came back for this one. Although we had different writers in this one, uh, Joel Chernoff and Michael Stokes, and here, oh my God, the score is just totally gone. By the way, I just I'll just mention like <laughs> there's no memorable music at all in this fucking one. <laughs> it's just it's, terrible. It's scored by Harry Manfredini of uh, Friday Thirteenth fame, you know. Well, yeah, the third one has Harry Manfredini. Uh, oh, and is that in vogue in the third film? Uh, maybe. I mean, there's there's an all girl group and like the subtitle said in Vogue, but it might, they might have just been playing in Vogue. I, I I doubt they actually got in Vogue for it. But yeah, I'm kind of thinking they didn't because th- these last two films are direct to video, so I'm not yeah. too sure. But um, yeah, this one I'd I'd still rate it better than two. Uh, what what are your sort sort of initial thoughts on this one, Gary? Uh four. Um, yeah, they try to take you back to that same you know here's kids doing stuff thing again mm-hmm. but but these are some really shitty kids because they've done some bad things so they think that flying a plane will, will you know give them character or whatnot <laughs> i mean you have to think these kids are like army brats because the, the whole time they, they have access to this place and this down the other but um they're not really memorable at all though not like your first iron eagle film and that, that hurts the film i think but i do i do like the idea of the, the the threat that that's there, you know, essentially the whole U.S. Air Force is against them and their backs are against the wall. And by the way, now that we, we deal in drugs, there's germ warfare, too, because we yeah. have like a, a super smallpox virus we're going to unleash on the people, I guess. Yeah, there's just a lot of stuff going on. And I'd like to mention for, for your Canadian listeners, you know. This is not one, but two are you afraid of the dark alumni in it. So there That's you go. right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that guy. Yeah. Fuck, man. It's, uh, and uh, Al Waxman, who uh, we will remember from uh, Meatballs 3. And also, uh, as I also mentioned in the, in the Meatballs franchise uh, episode, uh, King of Kingston which was his popular TV show here in Canada for right. quite a while. So, But, but yeah, this, this one's... I mean, it's like, man, they okay. They made friends with and fought with the Russians. They beat off the Arabs. Uh, they they beat off the uh, Colombian drug cartels. What's left? Oh, we got to fight our own our own people, and uh, we we got to fight germ warfare now. And I don't know how relevant that was in 1995, but uh... I don't know either. It was it was <laughs> just a bonkers concept. That's what like, what kept me in this film. Yeah. There's a, there was a great fear of, like, chemical weapons at that time because it was still this kind of new thing, and it was like, oh, rogue states are going to get chemical weapons. I mean, that was – I mean, that's sort of the whole thing about no-fly zones in Iraq was, was talking about, like, oh, Saddam's building these weapons of mass destruction. And, you know, I mean, the, the Clinton-era, like, treatment of, uh, you know, Iraqi sanctions and everything was all basically built around, like, fear of chemical weapons. And look how that turned out. 
<laughs> yeah. I do find it fascinating that this film series, which begins with, I mean, just this openly pro-military piece of propaganda, ends on... And then a bunch of kids have to, like, take on the U.S. military. Like, literally teenage delinquents are taking on members of the U.S. military who have used the events of the first film as a rallying cry behind, like, let's just go take down Cuba because they makes us look like pussies. <laughs> um, it's, I mean, the, the, the way that these films track the, like, political mood towards the military over the course of this, like, decade is uh, like astonishing. I, I was really expecting these, especially after watching the first one to be like, Oh, this is going to be complete like pro military hardware, like all the way through. And I don't even know how much the filmmakers realize the, the message they were sending in the fourth one, because it's that, that I mean, for this kind of film that, that that's kind of deeply subversive. Um, I was amazed that it came up. Yeah. They're just trying to squeeze some blood out of this at this point and try to make some money. Sydney J. Fury just needed to pay off some host oh. mortgage or something because, <laughs> but uh, I, I will say I did like the, I did like the main girl in the film. Yeah, um, a wheel a Wheeler, the, the, the yeah, tough yeah, girl yeah. with the yeah, she mullet. Yeah. yeah, she's awesome. So she, how how old she's supposed to be? Because it kind of feels like Doug Masters here. And by the way, I disagree, Daniel. I think uh, Jason uh, Kedo or however you pronounce his fucking name, I think he's actually a pretty good stand-in for. Uh, for the original Doug Masters, I think. Oh, oh, he's he's perfectly fine. I was more just making fun of the fact that they changed actors. Oh, okay. So, I was gonna yeah. say, but I'm, uh, I'm in no way trying to uh, make fun of his performance or his appearance or the fact. I mean, he he works perfectly well in the film. He does fine because this is his first movie. So he's, oh wow, that's yeah, interesting. He's pretty easy. He's all right. And he, he he's uh of course this is a this is a full on Canadian production. Like this is actually kind of post. Uh, Canada tax shelter, but still you see a lot of Canadian actors in this, and he's actually been like a fixture on Canadian TV for quite a while. I think he teaches like acting or something at this point now. Yeah, he's got like an actor studio kind of thing. I, yeah. I was just looking up some random people on Wikipedia, and there's he's got something with like his partner. Yeah, that was. Cool, you know? But I'm I'm kind of wondering how much older he's supposed to be than uh, Wheeler because. I don't know. He seems a lot older than Wheeler, so it's kind of a weird relationship there. Well, if it's supposed to be the same character, I mean, if you think that, I mean, if she's a juvenile, she's got to be like eight, like 17 at the most, yeah. right? And the kid graduates high school 10 years earlier or nine years earlier. So, I mean, basically, there's like a 10 year age gap between them. Yeah. Um, which, I mean, 17 to 27 or so is, that's a, that's a pretty big gap. I'm just gonna uh, say. Wonder, I wonder what state this takes place in. Depends. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's. I. I mean. I, I would guess it's supposed to be California. Um, yeah. I think the age of consent is 16 in California, um, uh, because they mentioned, oh, well, we're gonna fly to Mexico, and I mean, it. It, it just kind of, you know, it kind of vaguely looks like, oh yeah, there are a bunch of military bases in, you know, kind of middle of nowhere, California. Oh well, that so. takes us back to our episode on the cheerleaders, and it's not nearly as creepy if that was the age of consent then. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, it's it's creepy regardless, just because it's like, oh yeah, they're like implying. The thing is, like, they imply this sort of romantic thing, but never, but but don't do anything with it because clearly these movies are made for like kids who are too young to really yeah. want to watch that. Um, and that was kind of what I landed on. Like, wow, this series is made for twelve. Like, once you discover puberty, like once you discover masturbation. I don't know what interest these films have at all. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> like you know, um, I'm that's that's a little bit mean. They're they're still uh, reasonable. I mean, I enjoyed watching these, but um, you know, I mean, certainly. I mean, yeah. Chappie dances again. I he mean, does dance again. I mean, so. he gets a lot of dancing in this one compared to the previous films. Yeah, no, that's true. Um, I do like the fact that they kind of come back to having the kids like do stuff and having the kids kind of do the, oh, we've got like a hacker and we've got like this guy and an explosives guy and all that. You know, where, where there's a little <laughs> bit more of a sense of, you know, kind of coming back to that thematic thing with the first film. I just think the again the whole idea of like we've got juvenile delinquents, let's put them in charge of planes. Yeah, that that's clearly not going to go badly. But at least it's portrayed as going badly because she's like, yeah, I can just totally fly and get drugs. That's going to be great. Or get money by selling drugs, you know. And, so. and, they, and they can fly any plane, apparently, because they go from these, these stunt planes. You know, they got to be like the most novice planes there are to uh, Rachel, whatever her name is, the one that one of the Are You Afraid of Dark Kids. Yeah. Fly, flying like this massive drop ship because she could fly anything, apparently. You yeah. Know? <laughs> yeah, those those stunt planes are like one up from fucking uh, uh, training gliders, and and then all of a sudden she's she's driving that fuck that fucking thing. Yeah, Rachel yeah, Blanchard C one thirty or whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, what I find funny is like if this was set in nineteen eighty five, these would all be the cast of a of a slasher movie. They they would be the juvenile delinquents at a summer camp being oh picked yeah. <laughs> this is basically Friday the Thirteenth uh, Part Five. Uh, but but <laughs> transplanted in 1995 and minus the slasher. They they didn't go full on. Well, they kind of went full on stereotype with these kids. You had the white girl. You had the the tough the t- the, the tougher white girl. Yeah. You had the the black girl with the with the of course she had braids. You know. Yeah, the nerd with the uh, asthma. Oh, the asthma kid. Yeah, for yeah. sure. You gotta have that kid. <laughs> Uh, I'm kind of surprised it didn't play more into the film. Like there must have been, there should have been the, like this tense moment where he had his air mask off. It's like his inhaler's not working. Get his get his mask on. Get his mask on. Well, they did, they did oh. make mention that it was all on his head and he didn't actually need it. And yeah. There was that point in the film where he just threw it, tossed it aside. Like I don't need this anymore. You know. <laughs> I, I've become a real man. I don't have asthma anymore. You know? Yeah. Oh fucking! Um, I'm American, yeah. buddy. I don't need this. There is this sense where they do introduce a lot of characters and then don't do a lot with them, you know, um, which a lot of these kind of ensemble films kind of have that problem. But um, now I, I, you know, I just I just kind of enjoyed that idea. Like, oh, we're coming back to that. I mean, it's not executed nearly as well, but like it, it, it was it was kind of fun to come full circle for me. You know, mm-hmm. my favorite part of the entire film is when Doug Masters goes from learned Air Force pilot, you know, cocky Air Force pilot. To, to, to sadomasochist and like one churn of a wasp nest because <laughs> he, he's trying to get information he's like I'll put this wasp nest in your fucking head if you give us information <laughs> it's like he doesn't care like all of a sudden because like, 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 a, like yeah. a masochist all of a sudden he just you know oh man those, those are those Russians they scarred him man when he was when he was being interrogated they, they, they taught him some things you, you, yeah, needed, you need those John Rambo you know uh, torture scenes in this film where yeah Young Doug Masters is getting whooped by his captors. There's a far darker film where Doug Masters just fucking strips off his fucking shirt, fucking ties a headband around his head, and just murders every one of those fucking Air Force dudes. He just... <laughs> I would be okay with that. Yeah. That would have been that would have been a. And then it just goes on, and then he still gets the girl at the end. And then he walks like, up yeah. to Chappie with it covered in blood and drops his knife, and Chappie's just like shocked. 
and and, and broken now because his his young protege is turned into a monster, and that that's the dark ending of the uh, Iron Eagle series. Let's, let's just go home, Doug. Okay. <laughs> no, and then at the end, he still gets to be in charge of the kids at the flight school, yeah. and he's still covered in blood and still wearing, you know, and he's like, "I'm here. I'm going to teach you how to fly planes." Yeah. <laughs> Ch- Chappie just hands him his tape deck at the end that he can strap to his leg. <laughs> Only now he's like graduated to like mega death, you know. Yeah. <laughs> now, now I can fly again, right, Chappie? Yeah. Yeah, you can do whatever you want, kid. Just stay away from me. I got dark real fast. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, DVD Blu-ray info for this. This should be uh, interesting for you uh, people out there. You can get a Iron Eagle collection, which has... Uh, this This has only been basically released on DVD like one or two times. You can get a Iron Eagle collection with all four films uh, with uh, full-screen, widescreen flipper discs. That's how old it is. Um, wow. Uh, or you can get the single disc editions, where which are just fucking full screen pan and scan. If if that that fits your fancy, uh, no Blu-rays though. Uh, forget fucking Blu-rays. I'm actually kind of surprised that the series doesn't have Blu-rays because everything else is on fucking Blu-rays these days. So. Well, I found a sweet HD print of the first one online that that I happened to watch. I own the DVD somewhere, but I got lazy. Mm-hmm. But uh, the the other three are available on digital for like six dollars a piece on. The Voodoo Marketplace, if you guys have that, so and that's I and I happen to buy those. Go, it was it was a good deal. Yeah, this is this. These are enjoyable. I mean, the, the I think part two is the only one I'd actively say skip. I, I would rewatch part three and part one, and I mean part four as well. Honestly, can we should we rank them? Like, how do you how do you feel like quality wise? Uh, three, one, four, and two would be where I'd sit at it. I'd probably go one, four, three, two, but I kind of like three and four about equally for different reasons. So, uh, I could very easily go one, three, four, two, but one is the best for me, and two is the is the worst. One, three, four, two for me. Mm-hmm. Although, at the end of the conclusions, there 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 are heroes, and there there's people who should be in jail, and there's 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 one of the same, and I think that all the people in these films, by at the end of the, at the end of the day. They're all the same. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we do We do get a, a certain degree of, uh, you know, kind of stepping from the outside. It's like, yeah, all these people are fucking monsters. And in that sense, it is a complete repudiation of the military-industrial complex. So, uh, again, you just have to look at it through the right lens. <laughs> I mean, I mean, Doug Mashless could have essentially started uh, a brand-new war with those people by yeah. saying, you know what? I'm gonna fly to this country I know nothing about, and, and, and get my my kidnapped father out of this country, and I don't <laughs> he, give a fuck about the consequences, you know. He he literally says, "Oh, that's just a little country. We can kick their ass." <laughs> yeah, and who who knows what allegiance this country allegiance this country might have had? I mean, China might have been protecting them. You never know. Uh, so I mean, they could have started World War Three just just doing that shit. Well, well, I mean, you know, clearly, seventeen-year-olds know more about geopolitics than uh, you know people who are professionals. Well, I mean, yeah, in the eighties, they definitely do. I mean, war games taught us that. I mean, I mean, given the choice between um, this kid running American foreign policy or Ronald Reagan, I mean, God, that's a that's a toss-up, right? 
So. Yeah, all, all these films, they, 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 they have this thing where they just, okay, we're just going to jump right in and not care about the consequences. And, you know, because, <laughs> you know, let, let's save the day. Whereas a film like Red Dawn, which is has has real consequences, and they realize there's real consequences for everything they do, although they're, they're a group of ragtag kids who are killing Russians and Cubans, there, there's real devastation in that movie. And yeah. you, you, you yeah. just don't get that in these, in these films. No, no. I mean, this, this is, this is complete, uh, you know, 12 year old Wankfest fantasy. You know, yes. there's, there's nothing else going on in this. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, yeah, still, um, anyone, if they, unless anyone has any final thoughts, we can, uh, sort of move on to the end of the show. No, I recommend three and a half of these films. Go for yeah. it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Gary, tell everyone where they can find you on the interwebs. Uh, Sin Beef Podcast and um, Two Drink Venom Commentaries are both on LegionPodcast.com. And uh, Sloppy Seconds, the movie sequel podcast, is found on Horophilia.com. You can find me on Facebook and the various groups, the Sin of Beef group. You guys want to come check that out. There's a pin post on there if you guys ever want to be on a show. We got some pretty random stuff on there that, that are... That could be an upcoming show that you guys could possibly be on, so come come check that out. Sweet. Uh, Twitter at GW and at Cinema Beef Cast, and uh, that's pretty much it. You know. Cool, and we'll link all that stuff in the show notes. Uh, Daniel, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me at oispacefilm.libsyn.com. That's a podcast, kind of grouping of podcasts that I do with my wife. We've been a little bit quiet lately. Uh, I've been distracted by other things, but um, getting back into it, um, I just put up a three-and-a-half-hour podcast with my friend Kit and Jack talking about the uh, results of the recent U.S. election. Nice. Um, coming up soon, we're going to do uh, – I've got a, a podcast I literally just have to record an intro for and put it up uh, talking with my friend James Murphy. We're going to be talking about the uh, first uh, Dune book. Oh. And that's another consider the Raygun a bit. Um, I've literally just have not had the energy to record the intro for that yet. But talking about it now makes me have to do it in the next few days. Um, and we got lots of other stuff coming up. Uh, we talk about Red Dwarf. We talk about uh, uh, Doctor Who. Those are our two main topics. There's a Steven Universe thread. Um, you know, we got lots of stuff happening. And eventually, very soon, hopefully, the Homicide Podcast will start up, and that will be over there as well. So. Yeah. And, uh, of course, you can get contact with us at tmbdos.podbean.com, where you can find all our links to iTunes, YouTube, Facebook. Uh, if you're going to go on iTunes, please leave us a, a rating and a review. Uh, be be very nice to see more of those. Uh, I haven't checked in a while. There might be very well might be more other than the one Mike Murphy was nice enough to leave us a little while back. Uh, I've been a little uh, lax on checking that stuff. Uh, but... Um, Thank you very much, Gary. It was a, a definite pleasure having you on, and you're definitely invited back anytime. Uh, it was a lot of fun. I appreciate the invite, sir. Yeah. And uh, until then, guys, uh, we're not quite sure what we're doing uh, next time. I don't know if it's going to be next week or two weeks from now, but uh, we will keep you abreast on the Facebook page. So uh, join the Facebook page if you haven't joined the Facebook page, and uh, keep up to date with what we're doing. And then until then, uh, we'll say goodbye, everybody. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Yeah. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to They Must Be Destroyed on Sight. For past episodes, links to the host's other stuff, and links to various podcasts and websites of similar interest, please visit us at tmbdos.podbean.com. There you can also find our iTunes, YouTube, and Facebook links. Please join our Facebook group, as this is the best way to get in contact with us and to keep up to date with what's coming up on the podcast. We also can be found as part of the Oi Spaceman family of podcasts at oispaceman.com, where you can find various sci-fi-themed podcasts about Doctor Who, Red Dwarf, Firefly, and classic sci-fi novels. If you decide to subscribe to us through iTunes, please take a moment to leave us a star rating and a review. Thank you. Drive through.